You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On today's episode, we're joined by Dell Bigtree. Dell Bigtree is one of the most preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement around the world. He's the founder of the nonprofit Informed Consent Action Network and the host of The High Wire, which has over 33 million views to date. Uh, Dell's background uh, was as a producer on The Dr. Phil Show and the CBS medical talk show, The Doctors. Uh, he's an investigative journalist and he produced a documentary film that is thought of as one of the most controversial ever that covers William Thompson, a CDC whistleblower uh, who provided over 10,000 documents to support his claim that the agency, the Center for Disease Control, uh, had destroyed scientific evidence proving a connection between vaccines and autism. And don't ask me how it works, but William Thompson actually still works for the Center for Disease Control. Okay, so... I'm going to say it from the get-go. This is obviously one of the most divisive topics that we can tackle here on the Optimal Performance Podcast, but it's also one of the most relevant in all of our lives for a couple of reasons. One, we are expected to be vaccinated. It is assumed. And what I aimed to do and what I think I accomplished in this episode with Dell is to talk about the science, to talk about the facts, to present information that is actual, that is trackable, that is cited in research by the very organizations that allow vaccines, support vaccines, and approve vaccines. We talk a lot about the MMR vaccine, which I'm sure you've heard about, and we deep dive into the efficacy and the lack of science around vaccines. This is packed with information, and you may wanna listen to this a couple of times, I would not speed this episode up. I would listen to it at normal speed because everything that Dell says is trackable and citable. You can find it online. And what we talk about in today's episode is, well, it's likely to make you feel pretty uncomfortable. We talk about the debunking of the argument that vaccines protect immunosuppressed children. We talk about Uh, the full story of the Disney measles outbreak, in which case 38% of the cases in this outbreak were actually caused by the vaccine itself. We talk about uh, shedding of vaccines and how if you get vaccinated, you can actually pass on um, the measles virus to people in your community. Um, We talk about this sort of really scary reality about where this is going. Where is all of this vaccine, this forced vaccination with mandates across the country and eventually the world for adult the adult vaccine mandate, uh, which is part of the full compliance program uh, by the CDC that's supposed to roll out by 2020. This is going to make you feel uncomfortable. And the purpose of this is not to make you feel uncomfortable, but just to give you the other side of the story because we take our doctor's words for it. We assume that vaccines are effective and safe, and we shy away from the inconvenient truth that the science around these vaccines 
isn't there. It just flat out isn't there. I really want to hear your opinions on this. Please email me, sean at naturalstacks.com or sean at optimalperformance.com and let me know your thoughts on this. Hopefully, this opens your eyes to the flip side of the coin that we are all being forced fed around vaccinations. Uh, This kind of blows the lid off. And if this is the first time that you've really heard a more broad conversation concerning vaccines, I hope that it is educational. And I hope that this gives you enough information for you to make better decisions for you and your family. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dell Bigtree. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. here with Del Bigtree, who's the founder of the Informed Consent Action Network, ICANN. Del, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think that where I'd like to start is with really basic, really clear facts about, uh, about let's just start with, the, with, with measles. Um, and I want to keep this really simple for people because it there it, it is a it is a it is a very complex issue that where there are so many uh, resources being provided uh, to drive home a narrative that we just cannot escape. If we live in if you live in North America, if you live in the United States of America, you're being fed a narrative that you that is unavoidable. And so what I want to do is like sort of slowly parse this out. Okay. But I want to start with the science. Um, and let's start with measles. We know it is a fact that there is not a double blind placebo controlled study for the uh, MMR vaccine. And then that that's a fact, right, Dell? That's a fact. I mean, that's something that we, you know, we investigated. I've worked very closely with Robert Kennedy Jr. on this. Uh, we had a meeting set up at the National Institute of Health by Donald Trump back at the beginning of his presidency when he said he was going to have Robert Kennedy lead a, um, a vaccine safety commission. Uh, all that really came out of that was this meeting with all of the heads of our health departments, head of National Institute of Health, head of infectious disease, head of autism, um, um, the, so our, our autism specialists, all of, all of them were there. And that's exactly what we challenged them on is where is the double blind inert placebo study where one group got the vaccine and the other group got a saline injection. We tracked them for several years. This is how we have approved every single drug that we give adults and imagine drugs. I mean, think about it. We've had this discussion about cancer drugs or AIDS drugs where people who were dying were not allowed to get the drug because we're waiting for these safety trials to finish where they were giving one group the drug and the other group a placebo. So if we're, if we're making people who are dying wait for a drug, this is a product that's, when we talk about vaccines, it's given to perfectly healthy children. They're in no giant, you know, there's no emergency whatsoever. They're perfectly healthy. You would think we would take the time to do that same safety study. That has not happened. And they finally admitted that. Not a single childhood vaccine. There's 16 vaccines we give our children, ultimately in 72 doses now by the time they're 18, not one of them 
has ever been compared to an inert placebo. And a lot of times what they'll do in the trials, they will compare the new vaccine to the old vaccine or this vaccine to three other vaccines or a vaccine to the, um, the, the most dangerous elements in that vaccine being the adjuvant, like aluminum or mercury. They'll compare it to that. So they'll poison somebody uh, with the poison inside of the vaccine and say, see, it's equal in safety and it gets approved. That's a fact. Now they admit it. They say that it would be unethical to do a safety study uh, using a placebo group. And so people can take that as they want. I mean, I'm not here to argue whether or not it's ethical or not ethical to do a safety study. Uh, but I would say that I find it fascinating that we've decided it's ethical then to give an untested product uh, when it comes to safety to every child in America and essentially every child around the world. We also know there has never been a study looking at the synergistic effects of giving multiple vaccines at the same time. We give six to 10 vaccines that are sitting at two, four, six uh, month well baby visits. That has never been tested for safety against a group who didn't get or got a saline injection. And we've also never studied the entire, the health outcomes of the entire immunization schedule. We've never looked at 18 year olds that got all 72 vaccines compared to children that got no vaccines. So there's no way to say that you're safer or you're healthier getting the vaccine. So none of this science that should be behind a product that is ubiquitous as this one is, that's being forced upon us, um, you would think that these safety studies and these studies would be there to say, we're making children healthier. They have no way of proving that. And actually, there have been independent studies now, uh, the vaxxed versus unvaccinated study, which is what we've sort of demanded on our side of this. Uh, if, if we're supposed to all be getting vaccines, we want you to prove that children are healthier. Every study that's been done around the world that's done a comparative study of fully vaccinated children to fully unvaccinated children has shown that the unvaccinated children are actually healthier. We know that um, uh, in a recent study of all homeschoolers done um, by a, a, a scientist doctor out of Mississippi, what he found was that the infectious disease rates were much higher in the unvaccinated children, but that the other chronic illnesses were higher in the vaccinated community. So unvaccinated children had higher rates of measles, higher rates of chicken pox, um, rubella, all of those things. But when it came down to overall total health, the vaccinated children had four times the rate of autism five times the rate of neurological disorders, 30 times the rate of allergic rhinitis, I think like two and a half times the rate of asthma, and the list just went on and on. And that's really what we're focusing on with my nonprofit is, you know, safety. How safe are vaccines and are we actually healthier? For someone starting from scratch who's hearing this information for the first time, that's just like, okay, cool. Finally, okay, I'll listen to this. I'll hear this guy out. I'll, I'll, I'll start from from day one and just come in th to this with neutrally when you hear those facts those are data points those are undeniable those are released from the sources that that are that are uh official enough to be releasing that information that you guys are finding how is it that when the when those are the facts do you think that people just don't want to go any further than that? Do you think that, 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 that people have just assumed for such a long time that vaccines work 
And in order to do a total 180 on that and to change your mind around that, even though those are the facts that you just stated, do you think that it's just sort of cognitive dissonance? Is that, is that why people don't take it any, any further? Well, I mean, I think when, so if you're referring to people, you talk about your average citizen because, you know, I work with scientists and doctors, they're people too. Yeah. That's an explanation. But if we're talking about people, um, the medical establishment won't tout the facts that I just gave you. They won't talk about the fact, they won't go out of their way to tell you there's never been an inert placebo study done on any of these vaccines. That's something that we're only now, we're trying to get that message out. But the pharmaceutical industry pays about 50 to 75 percent of the advertising on television, meaning every news anchor and every, you know, reporters, essentially their salaries coming in a great deal from the pharmaceutical industry. So they're not going to report on this. So getting just what I told you out to the public is something we're working on right now. I think if people knew that vaccines have never been tested for safety using the gold standard, the scientific method, I mean, we hear all these discussions about scientific method, the scientific methods not being used to establish safety when it comes to vaccines. So I think the average person um, where they're at is they believe the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is one of the greatest health bodies in the world, the World Health Organization, uh, the National Institute of Health, all these, they all will say vaccines are safe and effective. Don't worry about it. There are no injuries. It's very rare. It's one in a million are your risks of injuries. Don't listen to the misinformation that's out there by people like Del Bigtree, like myself. Uh, in fact, you know, Adam Schiff has gone out of his way to try and censor Facebook and Instagram and places where we uh, discuss these types of um, scientific issues. Uh, they've even taken my film Baxed, which I was, was about a whistleblower at the CDC who still works at the CDC, uh, still stands by the fact that he said they committed scientific fraud in the MMR autism study. Uh, Adam Schiff had Amazon take our film uh, out of Amazon Prime. Um, so there's censorship, there's book burning going on around this issue, all to try and keep people believing this narrative that you're talking about, which is vaccines have made us healthier. Vaccines are the greatest invention of the 20th century. That is the statement we'll hear from the medical establishment. This is the greatest uh, uh, achievement in health. Now, uh, there's lots of ways I could challenge that for days and days and days. But what I'm saying is that what we do know is They've never been tested against a placebo. And if you say that to, say, Stanley Plotkin, who's the living godfather of our vaccine program, he's made more vaccines than anyone alive, or, or Paul Offit, or uh, Peter Hotez, these are the sort of the faces that are out there for the pharmaceutical industry. What they'll say is, we don't need to test these against the placebo. We've established safety by the fact that this product has been being used in millions of children for, you know, for some of them, 100 years, 50 years, and they've proven to be safe. And I would challenge that this way. Uh, if that was the case, then we should have the healthiest uh, nation of children in the industrialized world, and we should also have the healthiest generation of children we've ever seen since in the last 30 years, we've gone from 10 vaccines to 72, that we should be able to prove that that's made us healthier. And the opposite is actually the truth. When you look at the health statistics in America, they're deplorable. So here's what we know. Um, we have gone, when we were getting 10 vaccines in the 1980s, which is about, I'm 49 years old, so anyone my age or around there, 
Uh, got about somewhere between 10 vaccines. If you were a little older than me, you could have gotten three vaccines. That was being fully compliant then. In the 1980s, our chronic illness rate in America was 12.8% for our children. 12.8% of our children had a chronic illness, something that was going to last you know, usually their entire lives, either a neurological disorder, some sort of uh, mental handicap, or an autoimmune disease um, like diabetes or or plaque psoriasis or you know Crohn's disease. These types of things that you're going to be dealing with and fighting and taking drugs the rest of your life. When we increase this vaccine program to 72 vaccines now, that chronic illness rate has skyrocketed. We have gone from 12.8 percent chronic illness in the 1980s to now 54 percent of America's children have a chronic illness. And really, that that shocks people. But when I say, just think about it, you're seeing it, you know it's happening. You see it in your schools. You see the diabetes that's just out of control in our children. Uh, you look at um, Crohn's disease in babies now. Crohn's disease only happened to elderly Ashkenazi Jews when they first discovered this gastrointestinal problem. Now we are giving drugs to children who have Crohn's disease. Never heard of that. Um, uh, anaphylactic food allergies, when you hear that you can't bring a peanut onto an airplane or no peanut butter allowed in a school, that never, ever happened before. Uh, childhood leukemia is is skyrocketing. I think it's increased like 33% um, since the 1980s. So all of these things we've gone, everyone wants to talk about, we're going to get into measles. We want to talk, the, the media and the pharmaceutical industry wants to talk about infectious disease and, and how dangerous infectious disease is, but they want to avoid the conversation of chronic disease, which is something you will have the rest of your lives. So let me just run some stats by you when we talk about the health of children in America. These are all, you can research any one of these. Most of these, you can find them on CBS, Health and Human Services' own websites. Uh, we have more babies that die on the first day of life in the United States of America than every other industrialized nation combined. We have more babies die in the first year of life than every other industrialized nation. They are now saying that you are 70% more likely to die before reaching the age of 18 in the United States of America than the other 20 richest nations in the world. You're more likely to die while pregnant in America than the 20 other richest nations in the world. Those stats are horrific. And people will say to me, you know, any of those people I said, Paul, often to say, oh, he's ridiculous if he's blaming this health crisis on vaccines. Well, there's lots of science that show that vaccines are, are clearly contributing to the problem. But here's my point. Why am I going to listen to a, a medical establishment like the CDC or the FDA that's overseen what is could be described as the greatest decline in public health in human history. We have never watched this many people go from 12% uh, chronic illness and autoimmune disease where in, their own immune systems are attacking their own bodies to now 54% within three decades. That's never happened in human history. Something's gone tragically wrong. And the medical establishment can keep telling you it's not vaccines, it's not vaccines. All I can tell you is whoever's telling you that, they're responsible for it, whatever it is. Whether it's your food, 
uh, or the pesticides and herbicides that are being sprayed on your food, approved by the FDA, approved by the CDC, approved by the EPA. Whether it's fluoride in your water, approved by the FDA, approved by the CDC, told that it was totally safe. And all the elements that would be creating this environmental disaster in our bodies are our major regulatory agencies are responsible for it. And when you look at vaccines, you have you have sort of one, this is what I would say. People will say, well, how can you blame that crisis on vaccines when it could be our air, our food, our water? Yeah. I always say, I think we should be spending millions and millions of dollars investigating all those things. If you look at, they just paid out $2 billion in damages in the third case now against glyphosate. That's the product in Roundup made by Monsanto. That stuff is sprayed on over 80% of our crops in America. There should be an immediate moratorium. You now have three cases that have shown that non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is being caused by that product. So I'm not only about vaccines. I'm about all the industrial petrochemicals, whether they're on our food or injected into us. But here's the point. When we talk about autoimmune disease, which is really the crisis of our time. That's what's skyrocketing. All of the ads for Humira, uh, the plaque psoriasis drugs, the Crohn's disease drugs, uh, diabetes drugs. These are all your own uh, immune system attacking your own body. Something has confused the immune system. And what I would say is this, of all the products we mentioned, air, food, water, great. There's only one product that I think we should really be the most focused on when it comes to autoimmune disease, and that's the one product that's designed to alter our immune system for life. That's what a vaccine does. It's designed to alter your immune system, to mutate it so that it is different the rest of your life. Uh, if you just describe how a vaccine works in lay terms, they say most people who stopped on the street would say it's a little bit of virus or a tiny bit of bacteria floating in some saline solution and you put it in the body and it creates antibodies and then you are immune the rest of your life. Essentially, what they've just described is homeopathy. A vaccine is much different. It uses a lot of uh, chemicals, neurotoxins, and things to send your body into a hyper, uh, a hyper reactive inflammation state. I mean, in all the, you know, when we listen all the time about we want to take anti-inflammatories, we want to reduce inflammation. You know, antioxidants, reducing inflammation is now becoming the health trend of our time. Vaccines do the exact opposite. They induce an inflammatory response to try and get your body to feel like it's having an allergic uh, attack by whatever virus or bacteria is in the vaccine and therefore will produce a lot of antibodies. Uh, that's the goal. Or if you say it simply, a vaccine tricks the immune system into thinking it's had an infectious disease. Well, we don't just trick that immune system one time on day one of birth with a hepatitis B vaccine or 10 more times uh, two months old or 20 times or 50 times or 60 times. 72 times now, our medical establishment is tricking the immune system of our children, sending them into a heightened hyper-inflammatory allergic response. And we're surprised that now our children's bodies and their immune systems are confused and starting to attack their own body, attack their pancreas and causing diabetes, attacking the myelin sheath and having issues like multiple sclerosis. It seems clearly obvious that this product is what is causing this crisis. And, and, I, and following that logic, right, again, like if this is your first time hearing this, these sorts of this data, this information, and you say, you're right, it could be the air that you're breathing. It could be plastic. It could be the aluminum drinking out of cans. It could be a lot of different things. It could very likely be the, the 72 
uh, vaccines that you're exposure to over the course of your your childhood and into your early adulthood. And which begs the question, okay, well, cool. Well, then why wh- why don't we look at that? Why don't we do the research to figure it out if that is what's going on? And when people are faced with that, when they're up against, th- if you're thinking logically and clearly and you're thinking, well, why don't we figure out like what's going on? The, the fact of the matter is that science isn't there. It doesn't support it. It's not, uh, it's not clear <laughs> that they're safe. They're, it hasn't been proven. And so in order to, um, cause I think about the people that are, that are dealing with this every single day and, and it's not a convenient thing to stand up for. It's not a convenient stance to take. I mean, I can only imagine the complications that have happened in your life for just like looking at this in a really clear way and saying, am I, am I nuts here? Like, dude, does no one else see this? This is so clear. This is so obvious. And uh, for the people that are going through that logic chain of figuring, well, let's, let's test it. Well, what do the experts say? And they turn to the experts and the experts say, it's one in a million. They're safe. They're, it's been debunked. It's been proven. I spoke with, with, with a doctor um, in preparation for this call who works with um, sort of underserved populations in downtown Seattle. So she sees lots of North African immigrants and Eastern African immigrants that have, uh, that have, that have, t- uh, that now live in Seattle that, that are, um, they're underserved and they have, they have fewer resources. And in preparation for this conversation, I have, I, I shared a couple of, uh, a couple of, snippets from previous episodes that you've posted both on YouTube and on your podcast, The High Wire, which is uh, phenomenal. And it was about the studies for, the, for specifically for the MMR vaccine. And I said, look, it hasn't been done. Like, I, I trust you. I trust you as a doctor. You're a, you're a smart person. You're a friend of mine. I, I, like, what are your thoughts on here? And she said, well, we defer we defer to these committees that look into the research on the whole and we take their word for it because we must we have to we have to defer to these to these what did she call them expert committees and that for people who are who are sifting through the data on this they talk to their doctors and the doctors defer to the expert committees can you talk a little bit about who these expert committees are and how they get to this trickle down so that the consumer is just like well i don't know like somebody else knows the answer yeah so you have when when it comes to vaccines you really have two major groups uh the fda approves a vaccine be licensed, and that's done by a small group of about about a dozen people uh, called Verbac um, Vaccines and Related Biologics Committee. Uh, I forget exactly what that all stands for, but basically, it's a board of people. And there's been internal reviews of that board that's put together, and you get sort of elected in by the FDA. Uh, and they never really disclose their conflicts of interest, and many of them end up being people who work for Pfizer, work for Merck work for the very people that are trying, you know, that are trying, are going to make a billion dollars off this vaccine if it's approved. Uh, once it gets to the FDA, then it goes to the CDC. And that's where it gets recommended onto either the childhood schedule or the adult schedule. The group that does that is called ACIP, A-C-I-P, Advisory Committee on Immunization, Immunization Practices. Uh, and again, uh, that's a group of many of them doctors and scientists, but also people that have worked for Merck or Pfizer or, or on their boards or being paid by the industry that's going to make 
a billion dollars if they approve this vaccine. Um, for instance, um, I believe it was Paul Offit was on, I want to say it was ACIP, uh, was on the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, voting on whether we should recommend a rotavirus vaccine for the childhood schedule. Now, rotavirus um, is deadly in Africa and places where they have dysentery. It's just, it's about three or four days of diarrhea here in America. But if you can't get to clean running water or good food, then it can kill you. In America, it is simply just uncomfort diarrhea for three or four days. So we didn't really need this vaccine, but he was on the committee voting whether or not we should be uh, recommending this vaccine. At the same time, he had a, a, a he was in trials on a rotavirus vaccine he was developing. He had an over a million dollar contract for a rotavirus vaccine that he was making for Merck. He didn't recuse himself, he stayed in and voted. His argument was, well, this was for a different rotavirus vaccine, not my own, but you have to imagine, it was for the first rotavirus vaccine that was ever gonna be on the schedule. Once one's on the schedule, the second one is only gonna have to prove that it's as good as the other one and it's gonna be on the schedule too. So clearly he made his product more valuable by voting for it. and. That type of thing happens all the time. Now, um, these committees, not only are they sort of corrupted on the inside, but they, they have a religious belief about what they're doing by adding vaccines. And there's a great video I put out of a meeting, and, and maybe you can put it out sometime, that really, you can hear me say it, but um, there's two videos we put out of a meeting at ACIP that was just about six or seven months ago, where they were voting on a, hepat a new hepatitis B vaccine. And if you watch the first part of that video, the, the people on the board ask really good questions like, has this vaccine ever been tested against another adjuvanted vaccine? There was a brand new adjuvant being used, which is the toxic thing, that, that part that sends you into the, the hyper uh, allergic reaction I was talking about. They were using a brand new one in this hepatitis B vaccine. And one scientist asked, if you, have we tested that vaccine being given with a vaccine that has a different adjuvant since two different toxins will be in the body at the same time? And they said, no, we didn't look into that. Good question, bad answer. And then someone, but then the head of the CDC says, but don't worry, you should know if you vote to approve this uh, vaccine, it will be used at the same time. In our well baby visits, we, we believe all vaccines can be given at the same time. So then another scientist asked a question saying, well, do they give multiple adjuvanted vaccines at the same time in other countries like Europe or Germany or Japan or China? And the answer is not to my knowledge. We're the only ones doing that. Um, so another great question and a bad answer. And so the vaccine gets approved with 100% even after that. And then afterwards, the discussion ends up being, you know, does anybody have any comments about this vote? And one of the pediatricians who's on this board says, uh, yeah, though I believe this is a really great step for mankind, this brand new adjuvant, and actually it was going to be the first adjuvant that's going, to, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but it's going to go deeper into the body, into the, the cellular immunity, which no vaccine's ever done before. But he says, I am concerned about the myocardial infarction uh, signal. We should look into that. And they say we are, we have a three or four year study. I was sitting in the audience saying, myocardial infarction, that's a heart attack. What are they talking about? a heart attack signal, I went and looked up this vaccine and found out that it had gone to the FDA, that Verbac group, it had gone there three times. It got turned down the first time, the second time, approved the third time over the course of a year and a half because 14 people died of heart attacks in the trials of this vaccine. And the FDA thought that was a lousy 
uh, record in the first time it went in. Then the, they're sent back to the drawing boards. They don't make a new vaccine. They don't do a new trial. They just manipulate the numbers and try to say, well, this person was eating too much peanut butter. Maybe they had something. They look for reasons to explain away the injuries, deaths in this case by the vaccine. Came back the second time. That didn't work. They still got turned down. Three's a charm. Came back to the FDA. And there was an article written by the only cardiologist on that board. And he said, I was the only one that really understood what heart attacks are and what they mean uh, during this vote. So when it came down to voting for this the third time, I recused myself. He recused himself. He's the only heart doctor in the group, and he didn't vote no against it, even though he knew it caused 14 heart attacks. He said, I'm going to keep my vote out of it. These are the types of things, the problem, these people are not protecting us. Uh, they're not looking out for our best interests. So now we have a hepatitis B vaccine that's going to be given to 18-year-olds and above. There, any doctor, like your friend, is going to say, because this is all she's going to know, she's going to say, look, I've got this great new hepatitis B vaccine. You'll probably like it better because you only need two shots, whereas the old one, you needed three shots. That's what you're going to be sold on. You don't know that there's a giant registry that's supposed to be happening right now watching how many people die of heart attacks from this vaccine in the population. We are all now a part of a medical experiment that we don't know we're a part of. And that's what our vaccine program is. It's the greatest medical experiment in human history. And as I've told you before, our, our health uh, outcomes show that we are failing in this experiment. One thing that, that sort of commonly thinking sort of uh, mainstream vaccination acceptors because even the language is weird and you know you know like anti-vax it's you know uh are you or aren't you uh should you just be a informed consumer should you be a thing for yourself should you not be a sheep like the the, the terminology is really hard but for people who are just down, down with vaccines, oh, go with the flow, do what they're told, don't ask questions, don't read the ingredient lists on the vaccines that their little babies are being injected with. For people like that, they will say, well, let's look at polio. Let's look at the basis for how vaccines have worked through time. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the polio vaccine or smallpox or scarlet fever, like we would all be, we would all just, there, there would be, polio would still be around, but have a bunch of cripples all over the place. What, is there any shred of validity to that argument? I think I think it's a, it's a think it's a good argument. It's something we should look at, but we have to look at the entirety of that argument. Okay, um, when and that is something that's said all the time. And by the way, you know when you say like all these names, anti-vaxxers, pro-vaxxers, what is what's hard to swallow is the fact that the pro-vaxxers will say that the anti-vaxxers are crazy and they're stupid. Like why wouldn't they? Obviously, this you know cured us polio, but a pro-vaxxer will only repeat what they're told. They've never looked at the science. I assure you, they're not educated on the topic. They believe what makes you smart is to just believe what your doctor says. That's a smart person. Whereas if you talk to your average anti-vaxxer, I just say uh, your average vaccine-educated person, they're actually reading all the things you said. They're reading the labels. They're just like they do the food. And most pro-vaxxers will read the labels on the food. They'll read about the BPAs in the plastic bottle that they're going to use for their baby. But when it comes to vaccines, they just don't ask any questions because the smarter place is to just believe your doctor. Whereas the other side, our side, you have the most educated population now in the country. 
they're reading everything. They're reading the science. They're, I'm posting science all the time. I'm posting demographic studies. It's all being read by that group. But let's get back to polio. Now, you know, I'm going to give you the argument that I heard actually from one of our top scientists. I was in a panel um, over a year ago of people. They were all there for different reasons saying that we're giving too many drugs to people. There was a panel on the overuse of prescription drugs. And the older gentleman sitting next to me, um, I, I, I cannot remember his name, Francis, Alan Francis, I believe it was, Alan Francis. This guy, and you can look it up if I got the name wrong, um, he wrote the DSM-4. DSM-4 is the Diagnostic Manual for uh, Mental Illness. So he's the one personally that added Asperger's to autism, and he says that's why autism is a bigger number. He's the one that defines in that book schizophrenia. This is one of our top scientists. So anyway, he thinks we're over-prescribing drugs. He thinks that we're over-analyzing um, um, and, and uh, giving people ailments that they don't really have. He had all those issues. Uh, I was there because I was. I believe the same thing. Only I think it extends into vaccines. And as soon as I and they were talking about how pharma owns the media, how pharma owns the doctors and the hospitals, and then all the push by uh, the the salespeople from the the pharmaceutical industry is making doctors use products they shouldn't even be using. Everyone said it. And then as, as soon as I said, I know. And the same thing is true with vaccines. He jumped down my throat. No, vaccines are totally different. Like lost his mind. Like how could I even make that comparison? And I was shocked. I was like, really? It's the same exact industry, same buildings. There's not some room full of angels making vaccines and, and the drugs you're talking about are made by somebody else. He's like, they've been proven safe. Anyway, huh. we got into a really debate and it just went on. It ended up being there's like 10 people on the panel. He and I just locked up for about 45 minutes. And I made all the points, a lot of them I'm making now. And afterwards, I'm getting to my point. Afterwards, he pulled me aside and he said to me, Dell. I want to admit to you that you actually won that debate. I did. He said, I did not know we have never tested the entire childhood schedule against people that weren't on it. I didn't know we hadn't established the safety of the schedule. Uh, I'm going to look into that. If that proves to be true, that's very, very troubling. He said, but let me do you a favor. He said, you know, when you first started talking, you come across like a lunatic, you know, saying that there's never been a great vaccine, that that vaccines have no place in, in this world, which none of those things had I said. Those were all assumptions he believed I was going to be making. But here's his own words. And I want to make this clear. This is from one of our top scientists. He said, you should start your argument this way, that vaccines did eradicate smallpox. They did eradicate polio. And they have a benefit, but those vaccines were extremely dangerous. We know that the smallpox vaccine killed many people with smallpox. We also know that that smallpox vaccine started epidemics of smallpox in areas that may have never seen smallpox. But it, and we took on that risk because of the danger. We know with polio that polio caused that vaccine, the live virus polio vaccine we used, caused polio for some people that weren't going to get it and started epidemics. It also killed millions of people with cancer because we discovered that it had a simian retrovirus, SV40, uh, in the vaccine, which then did cross barrier into the humans through the vaccine, and we got cancer. Millions of people died from a cancer they got from the polio vaccine. He said, but 
We took on those risks because these were very, very scary illnesses that were paralyzing people and killing people. So we, we accepted that some people would die from the vaccine and some would be permanently injured. He said, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is every virus or bacteria we're fighting as dangerous as polio or smallpox? Is chickenpox the same as polio? Is the measles the same as smallpox? No, it's not. And the question we should be asking ourselves is, are we taking on the same amount of risk we took on for deadly, terrifying diseases for what we know to be only trivial childhood illnesses? And if that is the case, then there's a good argument to be made that the risk-reward ratio taking the vaccine is not worth it and it's dangerous. That, came, that was literally what this guy said, and I think that's a really good point to make. I think that I think that is a very strong argument. I mean, for him to put it together in that way, hey, you should lead this way. It makes sense, you know. And you yeah. think when you think about the the scale of severity of these different viruses, these diseases that you get, um, when you don't have to look back very far to get some anecdotal evidence that measles is not that big of a deal. And, and even even saying that for so many people that are going to be listening to this, including people that are close to me in my life, for me to suggest that measles is not that big of a deal is going to send people out of their minds. But you can make you can look at cultural references where they talk about measles in a funny way. Like there's the Brady Bunch episode where everybody gets measles, and the big joke is, man, we're not we're not that sick, but we're getting to miss out on school. It's a joke. You ask, you know, my parents, um, uh, the baby boomer, ge- boomer generation about measles and they're like, yeah, like we went to measles parties where we would go hang out with other kids that got measles so that we could get it so that we could have lifetime immunity. And, and so, and, and even then, even then when you make those cultural references, when you bring that up with people, there is still such a strong defiance to, to coming around on that. And, and I, and it's tough for me to rectify when I hear people think really logically about a lot of things. And then when it comes to vaccines or specific diseases, like viruses, like, like measles, when that happens, it's, uh, the same way that they're looking at you and saying, man, Dell's way out. He's way off base here. He's, he's not making any sense. When I see other people, um, advocate and say my my body my choice you know progressive democrat politically liberal people say my body my choice uh, a woman's a woman's body is a woman's body she has a right to choose and yet they're pro vaccine it's like that doesn't make sense either so can we just point direct not just pro vaccine for themselves everybody else it's not your body it's not your choice i don't want you to have a choice when it comes to violating your body with toxic chemicals made by the pharmaceutical industry. That shouldn't be your choice. And right. It is. It's absolutely shocking. Um, so let's talk about measles for a second. I mean, first of all, you know, I too, I grew, I'm a progressive liberal. I'm still having a hard time letting go of the fact that not only was I a progressive liberal my whole life, I've been an outspoken progressive liberal my whole life. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I have marched for the environment. I've stood outside of Rocky Flats. I, you know, I've been at marches with the river keepers and Bobby Kennedy, who I looked up to as an idol of the environmental movement. He too, like us, is finding himself dismayed 
that the environmental movement does not see this connection, that the very things we've tried to keep out of our air and water and polluting our food supply is being injected into our little babies like mercury, which is what really brought Bobby Kennedy to this. So I've been one of them. I also think that as a progressive liberal, I always thought that I was smarter than everybody else. I thought that I, that our party, the Democrats, didn't tend to just be in lockstep with each other. They would challenge each other. Whereas I was always, I always believed the Republicans were the ones that would just, they'll vote with each other. It doesn't matter whether they agree with it or not. Uh, that was my opinion. And I thought that the Republicans were the ones that were brainwashed, that they just, they believed in violence and gun rights and, and wars and all of these things. By the way, Donald Trump is really just mixing all that up for me. And this guy doesn't, you know, he's polling troops out of, you know, uh, the Middle East. And then, I mean, I, I mean, I could just really go off the channel. But when my parents are like, I can't believe he's polling troops. I was like, what are you talking about? You marched in the 60s against war and you're angry he's polling troops. I mean, I don't know what has happened to us. So I think what we're watching is just some sort of coin flip, something of what, you know, turned, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. We feel like he's a Democrat. So something like that must be going on. But when it comes to my liberal friends, who believe they want, they watch documentaries, they take on this information, they listen to it, you know? I say that there, I have proof that you are being brainwashed. Oh, I couldn't possibly be brainwashed. No, I have proof that you are measles. What about measles? Yeah, measles is deadly. Yeah, brainwashed. That is brainwashing. That is simply that repetition on your television, those news anchors that are being funded by pharma, you're buying into something which our history, if you use your eyeballs and you open up CDC documents from the 1960s, you will recognize that this is just simply not true. Look at, like you said, look at the Brady Bunch. I, I, was, I was interviewed by Inside Edition saying the Brady Bunch is not science. How can you be making a science re reference to that? I said, oh, I'm not making a scientific reference, but we, the, our population is being told that the reason we don't fear diseases like measles is because it's been eradicated. And since it's not around, we think that it's safe. The opposite is true. Since it's not around, we've been told that it's deadly and it's just not. Why were they kidding on the Brady Bunch? I mean, you had Homer Simpson and the family getting, you know, uh, measles. It was always a joke until now, until now where they're trying to get us to sell our rights away, to give away control of our body. Now we're supposed to be terrified of measles. So here's the facts. The facts are this. In 1960, before a vaccine ever arrived for the measles, our death rate in America from measles was one in 500,000 people. One in half a million would die every year from the measles. Now, I say that just like we say, you know, whatever the number of cancer is. We always reference the entire body of people and how many die. We know that, for instance, 610,000 people die every year from heart disease in America. Now, we aren't saying so what they'll say, you'll hear one in 1000. That's a total line. But let me fix the numbers the way they like to talk about it. The true number is there was one in 10,000 who got the measles in the 1960s. So here's what we know. There was about four or 500 people who would die from the measles every year in America. When we know 5 million people would get the measles, four to 5 million people would get the measles. So that means if you got the measles, you had a one in 10,000 chance of dying. And of course, the, you know, given the population being, I think at that point, 250 million or something like that, 
we know that it's one in 500,000 total deaths. So no matter how you look at it, it's a zero. It's 0.0002 or something percent of people uh, have a risk of dying from the measles. And those people were malnutrition, uh, uh, had malnutrition, usually lacked vitamin A, because now we know if you have vitamin A robust and you take vitamin A during the measles, you're really gonna skim right through it. So those are the actual numbers. Are we really terrified? I mean, so many more people die of car accidents. In fact, think about this number. 500 people died every year from the measles and a, a millions, five million people were getting it. We have now in this country, the third leading cause of death in America is hospitals. When you go in from mistakes made in hospitals, dying for reasons other than you enter the hospital is the third leading cause of death. 250,000 people are killed every year in hospitals in America, and those numbers can get up as high as 400,000, depending on where you're getting your reports from, compared to the 400 we're supposed to worry about measles. So going into the hospital, uh, because you're worried that you have the measles, that trip to the hospital is the most dangerous thing you could do. Being in that hospital, and we're doing reports now, we know that uh, MRSA is running rampant in hospitals. There's a brand new, um, uh, uh, what's it called? I don't remember. Um, a yeast infection that is killing it. it. You cannot stop with antibiotics or anything. And if a hospital has it everywhere, they don't put like red flags out and say, don't come in here. In fact, they've been allowed by the C CDC to not report that they have a deadly bacteria or, or, or fungus in the hospital. So you're not even being told the most dangerous place. I could go on and on, but that's, again, where the medical establishment kills more people. And I also want to point out this. This is something that really needs more attention, and that is the benefits of getting the measles. So I would love it if my 10-year-old and my 5-year-old would get the measles. Nothing would make me happier. I am confident because I've looked at the numbers that they will do just They'll be uncomfortable for three days to a week, and then they will have, when they're done, lifelong immunity. They will never have to worry about the measles again. They can go into a measles outbreak in the middle of Africa and help and not worry about getting it, unlike the people that get the MMR vaccine. That's going to, for, for three to five, maybe 10 percent, the vaccine won't work at all. And then for those that it does work for, it's going to wear off in five to 10 years. If you're really lucky, it might last to 20 years, but you can tell by the amount of times they give it that it doesn't last. They're giving two in childhood. They're talking about adding a third in college and there's two more on the adult schedule, which I wanna make sure we talk about before we get done here because that's what this is all about. Yes, there's an adult schedule and yes, you're gonna be forced to be vaccinated in the very near future and that's really what's going on here. So you have an inferior immunity from the vaccine. I put it this way, you can go ahead and drive a Pinto if you want, but you have an option to drive a Ferrari, why wouldn't you? I want my kids to have the Ferrari of immunity, lifelong immunity after one week of discomfort versus a vaccine that wears off. And by the way, people get sick all the time from the vaccine itself, and they have an inferior, a pinto of immunity that they're gonna have to keep taking in the shop, getting that vaccine over and over and over again. Uh, I don't want that for my kids. And, and additionally, we now have the numbers from the Disneyland outbreak in California. So we're told that you know we're protecting the immunosuppressed child by being vaccinated. Well, now the numbers have come in 
38% of the cases in the second biggest outbreak, which all the headlines were about was Disneyland, 38% of the cases were vaccine strain measles. We only now know that. We've now got Health and Human Services own numbers. So nearly 38%, you're getting damn near half of the cases were caused by the vaccine itself. And if the people, it's a live virus vaccine, so if they're shedding and they're getting a rash and they're getting a fever to the point where every doctor diagnosed them with measles, it was only after we blood typed and we, and we, we, um, we genotyped the virus did we find out, oh, it actually came from vaccines. And the next question would be how many of those people didn't have the vaccine but got it from their friend who had just gotten vaccinated and it was shed on them. This is going to kill their argument of the immunosuppressed child because 38% of children running around with wild measles that they got from the vaccine, they're at your schools and they're going to be brushing up against that immunosuppressed child, putting them at risk. And I've been making this point before I even had those numbers. When you go to any cancer ward where they're dealing with leukemia and patients who have just destroyed immune systems, there's a plaque on the door and it says, if you've been recently vaccinated, do not enter here. Why are they saying that? because vaccines shed. So that's the death of any argument they have for protecting the immunosuppressed child. If a vaccine sheds, then a vaccinated person can put that cancer patient or that immunosuppressed child at risk. There's even more to it. And this is all about measles, so I really want to get into it. There have been really brilliant studies all around the world published in medical journals that show that you have lower rates of cancer and heart disease if you have measles as a child. Okay, so uh, one of the studies showed that people who had had wild measles as a child Actually, I have to say it the other way. It's really important you get these just right. The people who had been vaccinated and didn't have measles as a child had a 63% increased uh, risk of having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma as adults. Those who were vaccinated and didn't have live measles as a child had a 233% increased risk of having Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, those who were vaccinated had a 50%, there was 50% more ovarian cancer in those that didn't have measles as a child. And heart disease is reduced by over 10% if you've had measles and mumps as a child. If you had both those diseases, there are some studies that show you could be up to 50% less likely to get heart disease, but definitely 10%. So now let's look at the numbers. I already told you that 610,000 people die from heart attacks and heart disease every year. If you reduce that by 10%, that's 60,000 people would have been saved if they'd have had measles as a child. Compare that to the 400 we say we saved by giving the vaccine. So 60,000 that would now, now those four, they're going to get cancer as long as and, and everybody else. So 60,000 people saved from cancer, half the ovarian cancers, uh, you know, one nearly half the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We're talking tens of thousands of people that will have healthier, safer lives if they get the measles when they're children. Those are the facts. Those studies are out there. Of course, your doctor isn't celebrating those because your doctor is told they need to push the measles. And I want to make one more point. And is, I know this is getting the weeds, but, you know, I don't want to put this on a bumper sticker slogan. I'm not going to just tell you vaccines aren't safe or effective and not tell you why, like your doctors are saying the opposite. They're not telling you why. Well, where's the science? Where is it proven? Here's one of the biggest problems with the measles vaccine. 
We never saw, when we saw measles, and it is very contagious, there's no doubt about that. I'm not saying it's not. And I'm not saying that the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting it for, you know, short periods of time. It does. It is efficacious. Does it does it actually stop you from getting it or does it actually only stop you from expressing the symptoms? That's a really good point. I mean, that's a good point. We're now seeing that one of the concerns in the medical community is that you can be a carrier of measles and not know it. We definitely, there's lots of studies showing this in the whooping cough vaccine, the, the pertussis, that we know doesn't stop transmission. So you, if you get the vaccine, all it's doing is stopping your own symptoms, but you can carry pertussis. So the whole commercial, the big bad wolf, you know, grandma, if you're going to come visit my baby, you better get the pertussis vaccine, the DTaP or the Tdap vaccine. Actually, the opposite is true. That's the most dangerous thing you could do. Because if grandma or grandpa gets a pertussis vaccine, they now can be silent carriers. They're going to come over to visit your baby, snuggle up on your baby, and breathe pertussis all over your baby and not know it. And it is dangerous for your baby to get pertussis. Uh, but if you, they hadn't gotten the vaccine, they're probably going to have a cough. They're going to be going, you know what? I don't feel very good. I have a cough. It won't go away. I probably shouldn't visit your baby. So that's the truth. And we are seeing more of that. That is starting to be the big investigation to the measles vaccine. There is some belief it's doing the same thing. But here's my point, that when we had measles sweeping the world, we didn't see infants die. And the reason is, if you had live measles as a mother, and when you were a young girl and you've carried that lifelong immunity, when you give birth, you pass that immunity on to your baby for you know, up to a year and a half. If you breastfeed that child, it could be extended to two, sometimes even three years old. The problem we now have is now that the pharmaceutical industry came in and said, we're going to eradicate measles, we're going to do it with a vaccine. They have now an inferior product. And no matter how many vaccines you give, even if you give it right before birth, that baby does not get any of the immunity from the mother. It is not passed on. So when they say that measles is putting babies at risk, it's only now true because of the vaccine program. Babies were never at risk because their mothers passed on immunity. Now none of the, the, the living mothers, now they've all been through the vaccine program, their babies have no immunity whatsoever. So they are in danger, not just from unvaccinated, they're, un, they're in danger from that vaccinated shit, kid that's shedding, they're in danger from the kid that's carrying and doesn't know they're carrying, or someone that's visiting from another country. Uh, their babies are in danger, and that's because of the pharmaceutical product, not because of those that don't want it. And now I wanna talk about the measles outbreaks, right? Because that's where we're going, the terror of the measles outbreak. Well, first of all, how do you call something an outbreak when everybody in it wants the disease? That's one of the things that no one wants to talk about. Both in Washington, which was, um, I, I forget if they were Swedish or Norwegian, but it was a religious group. Um, and then in New York, it's the Hasidic Jewish community that are having measles parties. They're purposely getting the measles. The numbers we're seeing this year are being driven not by maybe a necessarily virulent measles outbreak, but this. The laws in this country are becoming so oppressive. In Rockland County, they essentially quarantined the Jewish community and said, you won't be able to go to synagogue during Passover if you have not had the measles or you have not had your MMR vaccine. So what are all of these groups doing? They're seeing oppression, which was how it started in Nazi Germany. And they're saying to themselves, oh, my God, 
people are starting to get really wacky on this issue. They're so terrified of this childhood illness. They're starting to quarantine us in New York and to talk about in Washington. We had a quarantine at UCLA in California. So what does a logical person that's not vaccinating do? They say, I better make sure my kids get the measles right now. I need them to have the measles so that they have lifelong immunity so that no matter what religion they believe in or what race they are, no government will be able to quarantine them because they'll be able to say, hey, I've got my titers. I can prove my immunity for my entire life. That's what's happening in this country. Lots, thousands and thousands of people are getting their kids the measles so that they can never be quarantined ever again. Our politics is what is inflaming this measles outbreak, which normally people would say, you know what, my kids will get it when they get it. And so you'd have a couple hundred every two or three years, it goes in waves. But we are seeing a big wave and we're seeing it in an unvaccinated community. Why? Because we're talking about throwing parents in jail for not vaccinating their kids. The only way they could protect themselves if their kids already had the disease and don't need the vaccine. And that's what's driving these epidemics. So let's be honest about that. Yeah. You mentioned the word titers, and I think that not many folks know what titers are. Can you explain what role titers play in individuals? So vaccinate, you have an immune response, and there's two parts to the immune response in a natural human being in a natural infection. You have T1 and T2. One of the responses is actually cellular immunity. It's the, the memory is in your cellular immunity. And then you have the antibodies that are created that recognize and see the proteins and the, and the, and the antibody create, you know, we create antibodies to the antigens uh, on, the, on the different you know, elements that are in the vaccine that we're trying to protect ourselves against. And there's supposed to be a memory of that experience so that the next time our body comes in contact with it, we've already created the antigens. Well, that's the titers. When you get titer tested, it counts how, how, how much your antigen count is in your body against that disease. What's ironic is like in California, where we've taken the rights away from parents to stop force, forcible injections in their own children if they want to go to school, which is insane. Um, they won't do titers tests. They won't let you go in and say, look it. My child is is got all of the antigen presence needed to never get the measles. They don't care. They're going to vaccinate anyway. They say, well, antigens does not necessarily mean you're immune. That's fascinating because that's the only way they say the vaccine works. The only way they determine that a vaccine works is by giving it to people in a trial and seeing do they develop antibodies. And if they have antibodies, they say the vaccine works. But if you test positive for those antibodies in states like California, they'll say that's not proof that the vaccine works. And that's actually partially true. It is true that you can have a full load of antibodies for the measles and still get the measles, which is why it's so much better to get wild measles and have the disease, because what it means is antibodies aren't everything. The cellular immunity, that's everything. And that's something vaccines to date have not been able to achieve. And that's why they wear off. And that's why they don't work. Hmm. Wow. That's very circular, right? Like if you have the antibodies, you're, you've got a pretty good chance of not getting it and not spreading it. But they're relying on those antibodies to explain the efficacy of it. Right. It, it's Yogi Berra logic, you know, it's, it's so strange. It is really. The deeper you get into this, the, the, the more con like purposely complex it's been made. It's been made to keep us from being able to get to the simple truth. 
is this product making us healthier or is it not? I think that by listening to this or maybe just paying attention, you can see kind of the writing on the wall a little bit. And without getting too conspiratorial about our future, forcibly vaccines, forcibly using vaccines on people is about as, that's about as high level violation of personal rights and liberties as it gets. I'm going to, I decide that you, I'm going to stick you with a needle a bunch of times and inject you with stuff because that's for the greater good. And we're already seeing it starting to happen with people going to people going to jail, losing their children because they won't. And and the case um, in, with the Hasidic Jew community in New York. What's the way around this? How how wh- what's the future look like? Yeah, the future looks grim if people don't wake up. And I it doesn't. I'm not anti. I'll say I'm not anti-vaccine. Uh, I know that none of the vaccines that are currently on the schedule have ever been tested for safety. And I've seen a a massive decline in health issues I don't want my children to ever have. Um, I've read the science from around the world that shows that the aluminum adjuvants and the polysorbate 80 and the formaldehyde and things that are in vaccines, even the aborted fetal DNA that is in vaccines, we're growing the virus uh, in uh, rubella virus and the MMR and the varicella chickenpox virus is grown on the DNA of aborted fetuses. And I've talked to stem cell specialists, including Dr. Teresa Deicher, who discovered the adult heart stem cell. She's led the reason we now harvest our own stem cells versus using aborted cell lines. She says that the floating fragments of DNA in these vaccines absolutely does cause cancer, causes childhood leukemia, because our own stem cells see them. It takes up these pieces of DNA and mutates itself and sees itself and rewrites its own code and starts repeating that. So the dangers of these things are, are, are really obvious. But And I think that's what's important to this dialogue, because what you just said, to inject people forcibly, for your average person, they think of it as drinking a glass of water. They think that vaccines are just this simple event. It's a saline injection a little bit. Everybody does just fine. You have to look at, you know, if, as long as you keep your blinders on, you don't go on YouTube, you don't watch the young girls that are paralyzed by the HPV vaccine tell their story, you don't listen to the mothers and the fathers that describe their child regressing into autism right after a vaccine, millions of them around the world, and you just listen to your doctor says that don't listen to those people, what they're telling you is not true. Do not listen to the eyewitnesses. These things are perfectly safe. Then you don't see a problem in it, especially not with your kids. But here's the future. This entire push right now to take away exemptions in Washington, to take away exemptions in New York, we're seeing it all over, is being pushed and driven by the most powerful lobby in Washington. They're outspending, this is how much money pharma is spending in Washington. They're outspending oil and gas, which is in the number two position, two to one. They're spending twice as much money as Exxon and BP are spending to get politicians to open up new oil fields and things like that. Pharma is spending to buy your politicians. Why? Not because what is it? What does it do them to say we've got a great drug and tell that to a senator? Nothing. They don't care. What are they going to do? I got a great new oxycontin. It's going to get so many people addicted. Oh yeah, let me get into that. No, they have a product that politicians can force on consumers called vaccines. There's nothing like it. It's the future of their industry. A product that, as we pointed out, doesn't have to go through a safety study. And it's really important we haven't gotten into it, has never been, it it cannot be sued for liability. Um, That's something that happened in 1986 
We took away liability. Why would we do this with a product? By a Think about pharmaceutical. How many products have killed tons of people and we only find out because we sued them? Talcum powder most recently, uh, it was like a $3 billion settlement because we know that they knew there was asbestos in their product for 50 years. Uh, Biox killed over 100,000 people. Some say it was as big as 500,000 people were murdered, had heart attacks when we sued them. We found out they knew that the drug caused heart attacks. Benfen, the diet drug, killed countless people. The list goes on and on. We've watched this our entire lives. Well, they only make one product that you cannot sue them for, and that's vaccines. I want you to think about that. It's the only product we inject in our children. It's the one that I told you you cannot test for safety. Why did they take liability away in 1986? Get this. Because they were having so many lawsuits, they couldn't make money off of vaccines. They were losing so much money from paying out to death and paralysis and seizures for vaccines, they couldn't make any money. And so they blackmailed Ronald Reagan and said, unless you protect us from liability so we can start to make a profit on these things, we're going to stop making all vaccines and you won't have any in America. Ronald Reagan hated the idea, but in the end, because of the lobby, he passed the 1986 Compensation Act and took away liability. So now you have an untested product, it has no liability, and it can be forced upon citizens by government officials. Here's where this is going. I believe all these exemptions are being removed because the adult mandated vaccine program is right around the corner. We found it in Health and Human Services on website, Health and Human Services being the overseeing government body of our health department. They have a full compliance, is what they call it, a full compliance vaccine program that they want to implement by 2020 for all adults. Most people have not had their vaccines in 10, 15, 20 years. And the pharmaceutical industry knows once they make this push that everybody is going to say, hold on a second, my grandpa never got vaccines didn't need them. I've been doing just fine. I don't think I need them. I'm going to use one of these exemptions. What do I need? A religious exemption or a personal belief exemption? One of those things because I don't need a damn vaccine right now. I'm doing just fine. They know that would be the response by the body of adults. So they're taking away the exemptions by making us afraid of measles for babies. They're wiping out the exemptions. And then in about a year or two, we'll come. And why are they in Washington? They have convinced your, you know, your political leaders, especially Democrats, to bring an adult-mandated vaccine program. And what's that going to do? Think about it. The pharmaceutical industry isn't outspending oil and gas two to one because they really think there's money to made, be made by that 2% of the unvaccinated kids in, you know, in, in Santa Monica, California, or hippie Berkeley or something like that. There's no money in that. The money is in a forced vaccine program for over 340 million Americans. Can you imagine if you get lined up for 10 vaccines that cost you know, one to $5,000 for all of them, whether your insurance pays it or not, that will turn the pharmaceutical industry from a $50 billion industry when it comes to vaccines into a trillion dollar industry overnight. Overnight, they will become the most powerful industry in the world, the richest industry in the world. And it's not just America. They're pushing these mandates in every country around the world. We're just the ones everyone want, is watching. So if we as Americans don't step up and say, I don't want the pharmaceutical industry to own my body. I don't believe it's smart based on a history, you know, whether you look at Hitler or anyone like that, to imagine 
to give power to your political body to inject you with products you have no control over. I just want people to try and do that. Try and erase this idea of vaccines away. And imagine if I came up to you 10 years ago and said, I want America to be a place where my government injects me with chemicals and products that I don't know what's in them and I have no control over. How many people would go to the, vote, you know, the voting booth and say, yeah, give me, give me mandated injections by the government? And I also want to say this. There's people right now watching this show that think Donald Trump is the most dangerous human being alive. There are people that think that Hillary Clinton was going to be one of the most dangerous leaders. My point being, we've become aware that we could make a mistake electing a president. You know, no matter how you look at it, it is clear that people that don't agree with you could get a president elected. And you want that president to be able to inject you with whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. I say this to Latinos that scream bloody murder that Donald Trump is going to, you know, kick us out of the country. He's coming after our children. And I'm saying, and yet you are for him having a vaccine program he controls or, or you know, uh, people in the, in the, you know, LGBT, you know, like gay, bi, you know, any, any sexual preference. What if a president doesn't like you and you're being lined up for injections every year? Do you see what's possible here? The point being, I do not believe we're always going to elect the greatest leaders. And the president of the United States you may think, oh, you're, you're making up. You know, well, think about this. Whoever that president is, if you really disagree with them, then that president puts into place the head of the CDC. He elects them. You don't. He puts the CDC or she puts the CDC the head of the CDC, the head of the FDA, the head of the EPA, the head of the National Institute of Health, all of the people that are deciding what's going to be in the vaccine program this year is being decided by the president of the United States. Please don't be so stupid and, and listen to this fear mongering by an industry that wants to become a trillion dollar industry next year. Don't give your body away because once we've done that, it will never end the repercussions of that. How about mandated Ritalin or psychotropic drugs? I know your kid's acting a little, he's being obnoxious, you know, doesn't matter if he's bored in class, we're gonna put him on a drug. Well, I don't want my child on drugs. That doesn't matter, you already signed away. Once you allow pharmaceutical products to be injected into your child without your choice, guess what? We just grandfathered in every drug that we think the school thinks your child needs. That's the future. That's where this is going. Yeah. Even if even if you've been effectively influenced to have a certain opinion around the efficacy of vaccines, even if you've bought the hype, even if you're on board with that, to, th to, to really think about what you just said, to really wrap your mind around what that future would look like in two years or three years or five years or 10 years in which they get to decide what goes in your body, it doesn't get more dystopian or Wellian than that. It, it, that, 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 that alone is, an, is a good enough re reason to keep an open mind and do your research and don't just go with what you're told. Like really look into it. Do Of all the things to read up on, this may be the most important thing that you read up on. What is in your body? Like what, what, is, what are you being forced to take on? Man, uh, it's, I, 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 
Del, your the the work that you do, your your energy level, your your ability to to continue to advocate for this for this controversial topic is really admirable. And you and your team, who I've been in con- contact with in order to schedule this, have been. I mean, you guys are going from Maine to Dallas to, or I mean, you're all over the place. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing just to keep just to keep our eyes open to this thing so that we can take a deeper look. And I just want to, I want to say thank you for the, for the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, I appreciate it, but you know, and, and a lot of people come up to me as though there's some altruism to it. Um, you know, I'm just like a, a, you know, someone that's Jewish in the middle of the Holocaust before we're getting on train saying, don't get on the train. I mean, is that altruistic? It's not. I'm going to be thrown on there too. I'm out to protect my body and the bodies of my children. That is why I'm here. We all need to start becoming more self-protective and stand up right now and say, I mean, to think that if you think I'm going to do this all by myself, that my visiting politicians is going to get this done, if we don't stand up in mass together, our days are numbered. And I, I really, before, I mean, we're coming to the end here, but I really want to lay one set of numbers on that are very, very important because we still hear this one in a million. Okay, fine. Autism is caused by vaccines. And yes, there's proof that that's the case. But one in a million, that's a lie. And we know that because we have the VAERS system. The same act that took liability away from the product created a database where we're supposed to be collecting the injuries from vaccines. It's called Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It's the only system we have in this country. We have no other way of tracking uh, the injuries from vaccines except for, you know, in HMOs, I guess you can look them up if you want to do specific searches. But this is the only system where if your child gets a vaccine and your child starts having seizures four hours later, you're supposed to go to your doctor and say, my child's having seizures. Your doctor's supposed to say, okay, great. Let me put that on VAERS so that scientists can analyze that data and start seeing, you know, are we having more common injuries? I mean, think about it. We have an untested vaccine program. So if there is a dangerous vaccine that slipped through the pipeline because it didn't get tested in a safety test, then VAERS is going to have to capture it. It's going to have to catch it and warn the CDC and warn the National Institute of Health and warn Health and Human Services so they can fix the problem. Well, here's what we know. In 2018, there's already, and it's still coming in, there's already over 60,000 reported injuries from vaccines. Now, if we hear that vaccine injury is one in a million, that would mean that there's 60,000 million people living in America. We know that's not true. Of the 60,000, there's over 400 reported deaths from vaccines in 2018 alone, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 emergency room visits. And we looked at 2016, and the numbers are very similar. There's a consistency to these numbers. So 400 innocent people were killed, apparently, by vaccines uh, and reported in 2018. So that means some future president is not going to be there because they were killed by a vaccine. Maybe a scientist that has figured out a way to make vaccines that don't kill is going to be dead because they never made it through the vaccine program. But it actually gets worse. Uh, There's been multiple internal reviews by the CDC, by our government. We've had congressional reviews of theirs. And more recently, we paid a million dollars to Harvard Medical School to investigate the VAERS system and see how efficient it is, and also to see if they could make it more efficient by perhaps automating it. You know what Harvard Medical School discovered? When they analyzed the system and looked at all of the reports coming in, 
they came out and said, it appears that VAERS is capturing less than 1% of the total amount of actual vaccine injuries. 1%. Let's not say under, let's just take 1%. That means that the 60,000 reports in 2018 are only 1%. There should have been 6 million reported injuries from vaccines. 400 deaths is not accurate. That should actually be 40,000 deaths from vaccines. You see, when we're being told there's no debate, anybody that's bringing up the dangers of vaccines, they're lying to you, it's misinformation, you can look up the bear system. Look it up. It even says right there on the website, don't trust these numbers because it's a passive reporting system that is underreported. Now think about that. This reporting system has been in place since 1986 in a country that developed Microsoft and Apple and the greatest computer systems in the world, and our medical establishment that has products that cannot be tested, are not tested for safety, and have no liability, they're being given to our kids, the only system to capture the injuries is still only capturing 1% because most doctors don't know about it. Nobody's using it. And when the Harvard Medical School did automate it, the part of this study was Use your own Harvard Pilgrim uh, HMO system and see if you can automate your bear system. They did it. They achieved it. They made it so that as soon as you were sitting with your doctor and saying, my child has seizures, your doctor types in seizures, it immediately all injuries would go up to the database. Now, we know that some of them will be accurate, some won't, but you want to collect all the data. That's how science works so that you can see the anomalies, you can see the outliers, but you can see the consistencies and things that are happening too often. Well, the CDC paid to have it automated, and Harvard automated their VAERS system just for their insurance system, and they discovered that out of 350,000 vaccinees, 35,000 reported injuries from vaccines, one in 10. And that was a part of their report to the CDC. And then when you read this, and this is what I do, I read these studies, at the end of it, they said, once we were able to automate the system and came out and recognized that the original system was only capturing less than 1% and we got it fully automated so that it could capture everything, we discovered that 1 in 10 were being injured, the CDC stopped returning our calls. The CDC would not answer a single email, and this study never got finished, never got optimized, or never went on to be developed for the entire nation because the CDC ran into the hills and stuck their heads in the deepest sand they could find. That's what your medical establishment's doing. Your doctors, as your friend said, I go to the CDC. I trust those, those entities that are above me. I trust the CDC, and I trust the FDA. Well, my investigation has shown the CDC doesn't do any investigation. They're not studying any of the dangers, and they're not allowing data to be automated or anything because every time it is, they don't like what they see. And so they're hiding it from themselves, their religious belief that what they've done in their careers was good for humanity. They don't want to see that the opposite really looks like it may be true, that we have made and created the sickest generation of children in this country. When I worked on the doctor's television show as a producer, we would insist that we now believe this current generation of children will be the first generation that will not live to be as old as their own parents. Go ahead. You can trust that system. Go ahead and keep using those vaccines. Don't worry. I'm not trying to take your vaccines away. All I'm trying to do is protect my right 
to informed consent, which came from the Nuremberg trials. When we tried 16 Nazi doctors for doing human experiments, and even they created vaccines by putting them on, on, on Jewish children in concentration camps, and then hitting them with typhoid and hitting them with diseases and seeing if they died or froth of mouth or not. When we put those people on trial, you know what the defense was? You can't put me on trial. Every doctor in Germany was doing the same thing. We were all told this is what we were supposed to do. Well, guess what? In that moment, that collective thought system, that, you know, it's not, that's not a defense. Ignorance is not a defense. And having everybody else involved in it is not a defense. And they all hung. We killed every one of those 16 doctors. And when we got done with that trial, we came up with the Nuremberg Code. And the first rule of the Nuremberg Code is this. The voluntary consent of the individual, of the patient, is absolutely primary. That there is no product, no procedure, and certainly no experiment that can be done on a human being where they are not told all of the potential benefits of this procedure and all the potential negative side effects of the procedure. And upon hearing all of the information, they are allowed to choose whether they opt in or out of that procedure or program. Every law that is taking away our rights to have an exemption out of the system, we know that doctors are not reading us the inserts. They're not reading the dangers written on the vaccines themselves. They're not reading us the ingredients. They're telling us all that nobody's dying, nobody's getting injured from vaccines, even though there's 60,000 reports and it looks like there should have been 6 million reports. We're not being informed. But beyond that, we're not being given consent. And every law that's trying to take away our rights that's being driven by the pharmaceutical industry one of the most murderous industries that's paid out over $35 billion in damages between the four companies that make vaccines. They've killed so many people with drugs and paid out because they knew it would kill them. That industry is taking away the first rule of the Nuremberg Code. These laws are defying the Nuremberg Code. Your right to consent. If for no other reason, we've got to stand up now. There's a reason that's the number one law coming out of the trials that stemmed out of the medical procedures of the Nazi regime. Are we a free country or are we going to be a regime that takes control of your body? If you do not control your body, then you are government property. Think about that. That's the only truth there is. Do you believe your body is government property? If it is, I, there's not too many of you because I don't want to live in this country. And I know our founding fathers did not fight to create a country where people believe the government should own their body. If nothing else, hopefully this inspires people to do their own research, to learn, to ask questions, to stop making assumptions that everything that they hear is right, to just slow down and read and read and read and make the decision after that. Figure out, learn what's going on with these vaccinations. Understand that the adult schedule is coming. Understand that when you when you make the decisions, uh, when your babies are born, that you're doing it from a place of inform information so you know what you're talking about. It's, uh, it's important stuff. Uh, Del... Where can people learn more, get involved, and actually dig into some of this information that you've laid out so clearly today? 
Well, the most fun way to do it is to watch my weekly show on Thursday. It's called The High Wire with Del Vigtree. You can catch it on Facebook or YouTube. I think we're on um, SoundCloud now, but all the places you find podcasts. Uh, it's fun to watch it. You can also hear it, but check us on Facebook. We also have our website where you can stream it live and see all the past episodes. We've done, I think, 110 episodes now uh, or so, um, and that's at thehighwire.com. Um, and then really, if you want to dig deep, I mean, that's a lot of fun. I interview scientists and everything, but we have, we have printed and published white papers that lay out all of this issue with my nonprofit. And that website is ICanDecide.org. ICanDecide.org. There's multiple tabs. The most interesting one, if you want to read one document, if you really want to get deep into this, click on the government tab. And we've been in a debate with Health and Human Services. We sent a 35-page document laying out all the issues and conflicts of interest we believe they had. We wanted them to answer to it. They did. They wrote back um, a document that they, with thousands of studies saying that they thought defended their position. And now we've responded. That's the first document under the government tab. It's called I Can Response to HHS, about 88 pages. And like I only just covered about a fourth of what's in there. And, and if you look at it online, you can click at the bottom of every page the citation and the link to every study that we're using. Nothing I'm telling you is my opinion. Nothing it is based on opinions. This is published science from all around the world that we're referring to, and most of it published right at the CDC inside of Health and Human Services themselves. Uh, that website is a Trevor, tre treasure trove. But as I say, if you're just beginning this journey, I think the first thing you should do is just look online and say, and look up insert for whatever vaccine you're about to give your kid. MMR2 by Merck, you're gonna get the MMR today. Just, you can go online, type it in, CDC website will provide you with the actual insert your doctor's never gonna read and list the side effects. Read the side effects that they have to put on their label. Read the ingredients and find out there's aborted fetal cell lines in there and other toxic chemicals. And ask yourself if this is really what you want to do. Uh, that's the best place to start. So many people stop vaccinating right there, not because they listen to someone like me. They said, I don't know, on my own, I just decided to read what's in this product. And when I read it, I realized I wouldn't even clean my kitchen floors with this, let alone inject it into my newborn baby. Yeah. I ask uh, every, every one of my guests to fill in the blank for the last question before we, before we take this thing home. So if you would, please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing that vaccines are not safe, period. Del Bigtree, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you.